Bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Good to be in the, the house of the Lord tonight. David said, I was glad when they said that to me. Let's go into the house of the Lord. Good to be here in the presence of the Lord with you folks tonight. Thank you guys for coming out this evening. Uh, been a good, good weekend. How many of you just, uh, you used to go Texas time, how many of you just tickled to serve Jesus a little bit? <laughs> you, you know, you really are. You know, there's all these things that you could be doing and things that you do, aspirations and ambitions in your life. But just think about just the magnitude of getting to serve Jesus. I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, think about that just for a second. Hallelujah. And who do you serve? Who are you rolling with? I know who I'm rolling. I'm rolling with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I think sometimes Amen. we take that for granted. Just how much that he loved us and came down from that place in glory and has adopted us into the beloved. That's pretty awesome. Yes. And he didn't have to. That is the great love of God. I think, you know, we talked about, I think it was last week, we mentioned out of Hebrews, where he said, you know, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of a salvation? And I think many times we just miss out on just the magnitude of the greatness of salvation. He redeemed us from the curse of the law. He took us from death into life, out of darkness into life. Think about what we have awaiting us. You know, Bobby back there, Bobby's 87 this year. She just turned 87 in May. In, in the study, <laughs> but you know what? And, and that seems that seems old. You know, I think John three sixteen's closing in. That's the Ron and Ronnie. <laughs> but you know what? You can add all those guys together, and it's just a blip in the scope of eternity. And so, how we walk out this life now really is, is what sets us up for eternity. So, I really encourage you, young people, uh, especially you younger young people. You know. <laughs> When it comes to Ron, uh, you know, Ron over here, I'm, I'm a young people, amen. <laughs> you like to hang out with guys like that, that way you feel you know, invigorated. But you know what, if you think to yourself, if there's any times in your life that you could go back, and sometimes it is those times that you were young. Because what's funny is, you know, I run into people and talk to people that I knew, you know, 30, 35 years ago. And not a single one of them walks up to me and says, hey, I just want to let you know how cool you were back in, you know, 85. <laughs> they don't ever do that. They don't ever talk about, you know, hey, man, those, I just want to let you know, man, those are kind of a cool pair of tennis shoes you spent 80 bucks. They never do that. Because you begin to see the value of things as you, you, you grow older. And you think to yourself, if I could just go back and, and have just a few of those years back that I wasted on, on flesh and on sin and those things. But that's why the scripture says, redeem the time. Redeem it, because the days are evil. You can't do nothing about yesterday, but you can do something about right now. Amen. So live those things to the fullness and appreciation of exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us and what he's doing in and through our lives as well. Once again, good to be here. Our expository study in the book of 1 John. What week is this, Caprice? Caprice always keeps us on track right there. Week 16, and we're, we're uh, moving right along uh, uh, in this, uh, digging it out, and get our shovels uh, sharpened and um, sharpshooters digging into that deep soil. So let's pray tonight that God would just uh, just give us what we need tonight. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Father, I'm, I'm amazed by it. I'm amazed, Lord God, of, of, of this God-breathed word that you've entrusted us with, that you've given to us, Lord God. Father, to provide direction, to provide clarity, to provide correction, to rebuke, Lord God. All of those things to provide, Lord God, the means of life, Lord God. The revelation, Lord God, of your son Jesus. 
And we thank you for it tonight. And Father, we don't want to be neglectful towards it, but we want an insatiable thirst for God and an appetite for God just to constantly consume that word. Even as David said, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I will not sin against you. Lord God, let us, just let us be a reservoir, Lord God, a depository, Lord God, for your word and for your truth. And just give us your mind. Lord God, we've got to have the mind of understanding. We thank you that there was that promise that you said you would send, Lord God, that, that other comforter, that paraclete, Lord God, that he would lead and guide us into all truth. And so, Lord God, we've we got a tremendous advantage, Lord God, off of those that just pick it up and read it as some literary work. We have the Spirit of God to breathe that word, living inside of us, Lord God, to make that word rhema to us. And that's what we need tonight. That's what I need tonight, Lord Jesus. And Father, we don't want to just be hearers. We want to be doers. Give us something to do with yes. that word, Lord God. Not just to change who we are, Lord God, but to change the world because of who we are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for these things. In the precious name of Jesus, amen. 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 Uh, if you would go ahead and turn to First John chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 11 tonight. I want to tell you something I'm convinced of on a lot of levels is whatever motivates you is going to be what eventually moves you. Isn't that right? Whatever motivates you is going to be what eventually is going to move you. It doesn't really matter what it is in your life. I think about when Jesus looked at the multitudes and it says he was moved with compassion. And we know the, the story. We know God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus. So Jesus come down, motivated out of love and a desire to reconcile the world back unto himself. And so out of that love, out of that thing that motivated him to come down, it moved him with compassion. What is it that moves you on a regular basis? What is the thing that, that, that gets you to go the extra mile, that gets you to, to not succumb to, to weakness or frailty or the flesh or, or just tiredness or whatever it is? What's that thing inside of you that, that we use that term in, in the world and, and what drives you? What's that thing that causes you not to give up, not to quit? You know, some of you, maybe you, you, you do now, if, if you do, we're going to pray for you. Maybe you got something, a hobby or something that just, uh, you know, holds on to you so much. I know guys that in the past, that they, they've been these golfers, and they'll go out in the hot sun, and they'll, they'll play uh, 18, 36 holes, getting up in the morning, spending all kind of money on green fees to, to the, the, the carnage of their families. Because they, they want to break a certain number on the golf course. I, I've never played, you know. Uh, I, I don't know that much about it, but it drives them. You think, what is it? You know, other people, it's like they're, they're, they're driven by catching that, the biggest fish or, or, or going to, you know, wearing, getting all the right uh, football paraphernalia. You think of a city like ours, people are saints crazy, you know. And I'm not talking about the saints of God. I'm talking about a football team. And you know what? If they're driven, they're just, you, you know whether the saints win or lose without even looking at the scoreboard. You just see the, uh, the, the, the way that they, the mannerisms that they have the next day. You think about what is it that, that moves you? Are you moved more by the things of the world, the things that are carnal, the things that are temporal, or are you moved by the things of God? And you'll know why I'm asking you that question here in the next few minutes. And here's what the Word says in 1 John 2, 8 through 11. He says, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and him in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 9, he says, he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even until now. But he who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let me ask you a question now. Can you imagine for just a moment, and I'm sure you can in a lot of respects, you know, you think about investing everything that you have 
and everything that you are into something and just seeing it crumble unnecessarily before your eyes. Can you imagine that? You know, just putting everything, all your efforts, your life, your, your future, your hopes and dreams, and putting everything on something, and all of a sudden just seeing it crumble. You know, you know, maybe some of you guys have been in business, and you put everything into it, and all of a sudden something happened, somebody embezzled from you or whatever it was, and, and you put your resources in, and it crumbled. Maybe it was a marriage. Maybe you're here tonight, and, and you fought for a marriage. You put everything into it. It just seemed like the harder you worked at it, the, the more difficult it came, and you just thought you laid everything down and ended in divorce. Maybe it was helping somebody that maybe had an addiction, and you thought, you know what, I've taken them in. I've helped them time and time again. It seems like they keep going back. What, what did that make you feel like? And you're thinking, what else could I do? What else could I have said? What, what, what other hope? Did I, did I go far enough? Did I invest enough? And, and you think to yourself, I, I can't for a minute think of anything else that I might have said and done, and it still crumbled. How, how did you feel through that? Did you, did, did you feel like just the wreckage, and does it even matter to go on? Did, but through it all, all that energy, all that investment, you know, it appeared that you were fighting some type of losing battle. The harder you tried, the more you worked at it, the more passionate and committed you were. You offered advice. You offered all these things. It seemed like it was right. The answer was right in the middle of your hands, but it seemed like you could only watch as things fell apart. And I'm sure every one of us, in certain levels, certain degrees, can always, we can sit here for a minute tonight and we can find something that that can relate to. But can you imagine, and I say that because of this, can you imagine the Apostle John, how he faced that when he wrote this epistle? Because that's really where he was at this point when he wrote this letter that we've been talking about now for this 16 weeks. He, he had seen and experienced personally the ministry and the life and the truth of Jesus Christ. He saw it all. And so just like the ones that would call, come and follow me. And it says they straightway left their nets. Or, or with Matthew, it says that he, he, he left his, his tax collection table and he, he, he left it all and he followed Jesus. And they, they, they put it all on the, on the table, so to speak. That's what John had done. John had witnessed and saw the other apostles in many cases die a martyr's death. He saw that people not just laid down their, their comfort, but they laid down their very life. He had participated in really the, the greatest outpouring of revival that the world has ever known. You know, people talk about the Welsh revival. They talk about the Pensacola revival. They talk about all these revivals. Folks, you want to read revival, just pick up the, the Bible and read the book of Acts. You know, if you want to pattern something after it, pattern something after that which was from the beginning. When somebody showed up, they didn't have to, to work it up or get billboards or have special music. They showed up under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, opened their mouth in obedience to that word, and boom, 3,000 people got saved. And they began to continue to do that. People that did not have any type of background in, in Christianity, they heard that word. They were pricked in their heart. They, they, they were moved to repent and believe the gospel and something happened. That's what John got to see. He saw lives changed. He saw them transformed by the glorious gospel of Christ. Blind eyes opened. He saw the dead raised. He saw the, the multitudes stand in the face of oppression and, 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 and opposition and still stand. Now, when you have that type of history on your side, when you have that type of experience, can you imagine all of a sudden seeing all of those things that you know how it could be? You know how it should turn out. You know how much victory people can have. Then all of a sudden we come to this first epistle and we see the, the infiltration of these Gnostics that came in and they began to undermine what was. Now, take it on just a personal note. Maybe there was a time in your life, and man, it was just like, the, the, the name of Jesus just was always wet upon your lips. 
that you could just mention his name and the, the Spirit of God would come up on you. And, and you didn't have to work anything up. It was just the presence of God was there. There was a victory and people were always looking at you like, what is she smiling about all the time? And if they'd ask you, you couldn't even have told them because words just would not even to describe where you were. But just through the cares of this world and all these things that kind of slip in, disappointments and time and all these other type of things came in, you just felt yourself kind of slipping. What was the song a number of years back that came out? That slow fade. Just something slowly and slowly and slowly began to take away that passion, began to take away that, that victory that you had. And so John began to see these things. His face was seeing something firsthand. He saw false teachers that infiltrated the, the church at its infancy. Now think about for that for a minute. Now we see it. We turn on the television, go to the internet, whatever else. Just wait for Saturday and knocking on your door. What you're going to have, usually not somebody that believes in Jesus and preaches the, the, the cross and, and redemption by the blood. But you're going to have some cult member if they're going to knock on your door. That's who it's going to be. And so we've seen those things. We know the television. We see the things on the radio. So we've seen the infiltration. But we've seen it 2,000 years removed. Can you imagine at the birth of the church seeing all of that tremendous revival? And all of a sudden, those things begin to crumble. He saw the compromise becoming the norm rather than the faith being built upon holiness. He saw people that had come out from among the world and were separate. They didn't touch the unclean things. There was something different about them because they had a different type of devotion. Now, all of a sudden, he saw the compromise was being preached as the norm. Now he had to defend the truth and even defend himself in the wave of all of these type of atrocities. Have you been there? Have you done that? Have you seen those things? You know, probably none of us today have suffered like John did. I haven't. You know, people read the book of Job and say, man, I read Job, I can really relate to that. I can't. You know, my wife and my children are, are, are all here tonight. You know, I've, I've, I've never had myself covered with boils. I've, I've never had my, well, I've had my house blown down. I've been in a hurricane or two. Uh, a few, but, you know, I can't, I cannot relate to that. I've never known a moment since I've come to the Lord Jesus Christ where I felt forsaken. Now, does that mean I didn't go through hard times or difficulties? Yes, but man, there was the hope. There's a hope bigger than my problem. So I can't relate to that, but there are certain things that we can relate to, those, those disappointments, those things that we see. And, you know, I was thinking about this in regards to what John saw and, and, and just how that vision had come to him, how there was a, a revelation of Jesus in the, in the natural that we get in the spirit. And I was thinking to myself, you know, 30 years ago, just as a, as a young teenager, and that's what I talk about, if I could just snatch some of those years back, I remember just the, the impartation of vision that God began to put inside of me. Things that I couldn't put a name to, it was kind of like seeing a silhouette coming up over the horizon. That there's an anticipation, there's something, you're, you're, you're putting your hand over your eyes because you know something's coming, but you just don't know what to call it. Anybody ever been there? Maybe you just feel God doing something and you get a little bit happy and, you know, you get the I can't help yeah. it is what we used to call it. But, but you don't know what to call it and there's nobody that can tell you what to call it. They just pat you on the head and say, sit down, it'll be okay in just a few minutes. <laughs> and, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later, it's That's just right. not okay. There's still something inside of you that just burns and resonates in your spirit. Yeah. It's just like, was it? And so I remember when that happened, it's just a young man in, in my teens. And, I, and just a few years later, Melanie and I would get married and, and uh, we'd start our family. We got Jared back there wave at us and we have Kayla now we've got all these five kids that, that we call our own and so you, you see just how how life kind of comes in and so we saw that we were involved in different capacities in our in our church whether it's children's ministry or her overseeing a nursery or working in worship ministry or or, or teaching in our house so we, we were involved 
And so it wasn't like we were unplugged, but, and we, but we were busy doing things. But we weren't satisfied. You don't talk about it. You go to church and you can do things that are good things, that are spiritual things, that are beneficial things, but they're just not your thing. You know what I mean? How many of you have done somebody else's thing because they will never do their thing? Amen. And so we were doing somebody else's thing and it was there was a benefit to it, but it wasn't the thing that, that scratched our itch. It was a satisfaction inside. It, it wasn't that figure in the distance coming up close so I could finally tell you what to call it. It wasn't there yet, but we were doing things. And so there was this gnawing that was inside of me that was looking for something deeper, that was something more spiritual, not the American dream or not to achieve some type of success. Or, no, it wasn't that. It was the thing that said, you know what, I'm standing smack dab in the middle, and it doesn't matter what else happens, I'm right in the middle of that place that I can say I'm in God's will. Isn't that where we want to be? Yes. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks it looks like. People can look at it and say, well, don't look like you're doing much, but I don't have to because I'm, I'm where he told me to be. Mm -hmm. And so you get to that place of satisfaction. So I think about that, and I, and I just think about those things that when I felt in my heart that was driving me, and I didn't want to be recognized, and I, and I think that's a huge trap that's facing people that are called to God today. They think that if somebody will just recognize me, if somebody will just, uh, if I can just get that title, then I'll be satisfied. Folks, listen, I've, I've had more titles and, and got more junk shoved in boxes that people have handed me, told me something. You know what? I'm not a bit of, I don't hang a one of them on a wall. Come on. Because they don't testify for me. They testify against me. That's somebody else's idea of who I should be. Amen. And so we think we get that diploma. And I believe in education. We, we operate a, a school of urban missions. I believe in all that stuff. That's good. But you can finish that, walk an aisle, and hear pomp and circumstance, and, and put a lambskin yeah, in your hand. You know what? Yeah. Nobody's going to be waiting in line and say, you finally arrived. It's not going to satisfy you. They can give you a staff position and write you a check every single week and pay for your insurance and give you a car and a cell phone. Yeah. And I tell you what, if you're not in that place where that silhouette from the distance has come up face to face with you, you're never going to be satisfied. Why do I know that? Because there's churches and pastors and people that are in some type of vocational ministry all over that are quitting and giving up and suffering burnout. And folks, when you're in that place and knowing him and said, there's no burnout. Right. There's just burning up. Amen. Because he's just burning you with the fuel all the time. Just, there's some fire that's inside of you that's motivating you always just to press towards those things that he had. There's, there's, there, there, there's no college, no major that can validate what you feel. There was no staff position, no paycheck, none of those things that would cause it to burn in your spirit. And so for me, when I felt like, you know what, I was never going to be for sale to the highest bidder. You know, it, it wasn't something that God told me in the distance that I could describe on a resume. If they said, well, tell me what it's about. Well, I, I don't even want to tell you because I hadn't seen it enough yet. It, it wasn't something that could be contained in somebody's job description on some website. It was something more intimate than all of those things. It was something that resonated for me from the depths of my very existence. Some of you know what I'm talking about tonight. Amen. Just the thing in the side of you that every once in a while, it's like Paul shows up and lays hands on young Timothy and he says, stir up the gift that's within you. Come on. Mm -hmm. And there's that stirring. There's something inside of you that just causes you just to want to get up and move and you feel inadequate. But at the same time, it's like, you know what? It's bigger than my inadequacy. It's bigger than my fear. It's, it's bigger than those things in my heart and life that I feel uh, so unprepared for. I said last week, there's not a single thing that I've ever been able to do that before I did it, I knew how to do it. That's right. right. Come on. It makes sense to you. Some of y'all said amen. amen. He said, go on. Well, I've never been there before. He said, yeah, that's why I'm telling you to go over there. That's right. 
Before they raised the dead, wasn't nobody getting up. You hear what I'm saying? Before the eye was open, the guy was still blind. Before he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, nobody was going. Come on. And so for you and I, that thing inside of us is what compels us to be the world shakers and the history makers for the kingdom of God. And, and so we got something revolutionary. Jesus showed up on the scene, the son of the living God. Things begin to happen. People begin to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of a sudden, all of those things changed. And so here's what I was. I finally asked the Lord for the opportunity to work out those things that he had worked in. Now, here's what I mean. Some of you are still in the working in process. Hallelujah. You are. Because some of us at different times, we get a little harder head. So it's hard to work in the will of God to that point where you just finally say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done chasing all these other things, trying to be success motivated. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm tired of making all these excuses for what I'm not doing, trying to talk myself out of it. Anybody been there, there, and still struggling maybe in that area? Amen. And trying to convince God that, that, that your will or your idea is better than here's, here's what happens. We say, God, listen, I got an idea. All I need you to do is get behind my idea. We think we're on an episode of The Apprentice or something. Okay, here's my business plan, God. And I think this would work real good. And God said, you know what? You take care of your business. Go ahead. Amen. And when you're done with that, you come on back and we'll talk. Right. Why? Because of the way that seems so right to you. <laughs> but it ain't going to take you where I want you to go. Because it's going to lead to death. And so some of you are still at that point of God working it in. And you know what working it in, you finally get it worked in, looks like? It looks like a dead guy. It's like, okay, he worked it in. I'm done. God, whatever it is you say, I'm done with excuses. You've worked in. God, here I am. Send me. You've, you've worked in that I've got to decrease, that you might increase. You, you've worked in that, that the, in my flesh dwells no good. You've worked all that stuff in, Lord God. Here I am. I have nothing to offer but just empty hands and a willing heart and, and just a, a motivation to serve you and to be found faithful one day. Now, you never get to the working out and actually get to apply those things until... He works it in. And so for me, the opportunity finally did come. And for about 13 plus years, we were working those things out. We labored in, uh, in daily, not in vain, just living by faith, you know, working probably in one of the most uh, despicable type of preacher killing environments that you could ever be in. And I get an amen from the amen corner, Bradley Perez over there. You know, have you ever heard the phrase, be careful what you ask for because you might get it? Yeah. Amen. We got it. Amen. And you know what? We still get it. Amen. But you know what? After a while, it becomes okay. You like that because you see what it does. And it forces you into a situation where you don't just trust God conveniently. You trust God out of necessity. And after a while, it becomes satisfying. It's like, well, right. I, I'm not trusting God because that's my hobby. I'm trusting God because that's, right. that's the only way I can make it every single that's day. And so we were on the wrong side of the town. We were in the worst neighborhood. We just happened to grow up in that neighborhood, too. We had a total lack of funding, support. We had a terrible old building. We had freezing winters and hot summers. We had a steady diet of naysayers. And I'm not talking about people outside the church. We're talking about people in the church. Pastor Brandon, listen to me here today, brother. We had people saying, there ain't no way, no how. You can't do it. Uh-uh. And what did we say? Dude, we set our face like a flint. Right. And we said, we're not obeying the voice of the naysayer. We're obeying the voice of God. And he told us these times would come. I remember we had a furnace in the church. I mentioned this before that, that you know, it, when, when it's burning inside of you, amen, literally burning inside of you, the furnace wouldn't light. And so the pilot was broke on it. So I would turn the gas valve wide open on it and try to find the box of matches. 
and throw the match on those burners and run for my life before it exploded. Most of the time, I got away from the flames. Most of the time. Every once in a while, I'd be singing, you know, had soot around everything but my eyes, and I didn't want to take a shower before church. Oh, my goodness. But you know what? When you're in the middle of God's will, you don't care. You'll pass through the waters, and they're not going to overcome you. You'll go through the flames, and, and they won't totally overcome you, amen? Maybe a little sense and have to go bald before you're 50, but hey, praise God for it, for the, for the opportunity for those things. But in the midst of those things, you say, yes, God, if you're having to run uh, uh, extension cords across the alley to plug into the neighbor's garage because you're tripping all the power, when you have to decide whether you're paying your house water bill or the church water bill, and you say, well, I guess I'll pay the church water bill because I don't live that far from there, and there's more people using those toilets than in my house, so we'll just... Amen. <laughs> And you know who's been there. Amen. <laughs> and you say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because you don't know victory until you've been in a good fight. And so it's the fight. Your victory is defined by your willingness to pass through the fire and go through that struggle. So you have to ask yourself, what's the motivation? You heard me say earlier, that which motivates you is that what moves you. Okay. So for me, it couldn't have been motivated by money. You know, your savings is in one side and your, your checking is in the other. You just move them from side to side. You know, you don't need a bank transfer because, you know, it's just however you get a fistful around those George Washingtons or what. You know, notice I didn't say Ben Franklin's or Abraham Lincoln's. So it wasn't the motivation of money. It certainly wasn't comfort because there wasn't anything comfortable about it. It wasn't notoriety because nobody knew or cared what you were doing anyway. Notice what Jeremiah 29 says. Jeremiah 20 and 9. Pastor Jamie, it's like that fire that shut up in my bones. He said it's like a fire. It's something that is inside of you that compels you. Now, I, I like what the NLT says in the second part of that. He says, he says, I'm worn out trying to hold it. I just can't do it. I'm worn out trying to hold back this thing. Folks, when the fire is shut up in your bones, when you're motivated towards those things that God has put inside of you, you know, sometimes you're fearful because of the reaction that, that people might have. You really are. Because, you know, you go tell somebody your, your vision, you go tell somebody your dream, but half of them are sitting there, uh-uh. If I can't do it, you can't do it. Uh-huh. Well, if I had a dollar for everybody that ever told me that about anything, <laughs> man, we wouldn't be struggling right now. Right? Amen. <laughs> But you have something inside of you that's saying, you know what, I can't hold on to it. I've got to allow those things to work out. And folks, when you do that, it's not above and beyond the call of duty. It's not. It's not Rambo Christianity. It's not too much of a sacrifice. It's not something that requires a pat on the back or even a thank you. It's none of those things. It's just reasonable service. Running from the flames of a faulty heater was not above and beyond the call of duty. I'm still standing. Amen. Amen. Doing without a meal or there, you know what? Every one of us in here, probably the exception of two or three, could probably pass up one or two. You know what I'm saying? And so that wasn't above and beyond the call. It wasn't any of those things. That was just reasonable service. But isn't it strange how today we call reasonable service something so far out there? Right. And those guys just thought it was just normal. It was normal to be holy. Right. Because yeah. he's holy. It was normal to pray without ceasing. Mm -hmm. It was normal to 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. That was normal that's right. Christianity. You didn't have to have a, a, a special conference. You didn't have to have a, a weekend retreat or an encounter. You didn't have anything. All you had to do is just get up and put your knees on the ground. And, and it was show up and show out time. Right. Why? Because that was the expectation because the motivation was right. The motivation was I'm going to grab a hold of the horns of the altar. I'm going to grab hold and I'm not going to let go until I have an encounter with Jesus. And I'm not going to let go until he blesses me. And I'm not talking about putting gold in my pocket. I'm talking about changing me, transforming me, opening my eyes, giving me a revelation of his place and his purpose in my heart and life so I can do those things. Yeah. And when I have that motivation, what begins to happen? I'm moved in the right direction. Right then that becomes the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. And so when God moves, what happens? I move. When he says go, I go. When he says stop, I stop. When he says speak, I speak. When he says sit down and shut up, I sit down and shut up. And I still say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Come on. Why? Because now my motivation is correct. It's your heart and soul. And it's what moves you when nothing else seems to be moving. What about when others don't share your commitment? What do you say to that? Well, the reason they don't share your commitment is because they don't share your sacrifice. You hear what I'm saying? Some of you said to yourself, you've got friends, you've got family, you've got people around you that you wonder why they don't share your commitment. Folks, they don't share your sacrifice. Coming to Christ Jesus, I think about with, uh, with Sam over here. You know, Sam, this country-talking ex-Palestinian Muslim, you know what, there's a, there's a sacrifice in that. Right. There is. There's a sacrifice when you depart from those things. But you know what? It's no more of a sacrifice for that, that watered-down Baptist boy over here that, that his family thinks it's okay to, 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 to sip on a little of this and puff on a little of that every once in a while. And he said, uh-uh. I'm in Christ. I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. Amen. That persecution is really, at the end of the day, going to look pretty much like that persecution. It may come from a different angle and with a different nomenclature, but you know it's the same thing. Come on. And so you say to yourself, what is the sacrifice that I'm willing to make? And it's going to be based upon the commitment that I have. And your sacrifice is not going to be measured by your memory verses. It's going to be measured by your motivation. You hear me? It's not how much King James vernacular you can spit out or whatever else. It's not going to be measured by those things. It's not going to be measured by your offerings. It's going to be measured by your attitude. It's not how deep you can get into your pocket. It's how deep you're allowing God to get into your heart. It's not in your eloquence. Or, or what you can say, it's in your benevolence, what you can give out of yourself. It's not in your ability, it's in your humility. Not saying, look, I've showed up, I've arrived. Folks, I, I, I'm at a strategic advantage on most people. Because I showed up with absolutely nothing to offer him. I did. You know, I, I look at people that I knew and friends, I think, man, they're going to do some great things for the kingdom. I was happy for them. And I, and I was thinking, you know what, maybe I can help them. Maybe I can carry their luggage or, or whatever else. And I saw that as a kid growing up, and I thought, you know, that's it. I, I, I want that. So I, I didn't come to the table with the, with the pedigree. I didn't come to the table with the right family. I didn't come to the table with any of those things. And so I came, and I was just tickled at whatever he, opportunity that he would give me. And so I wasn't there with some, you know, proverbial spiritual silver spoon in my mouth. I come from the wrong place, the wrong town, the wrong time, the wrong family, the wrong background, all that flaky existence. But he wasn't looking for my ability. He was looking for my humility and saying, you know what, God, I'm showing up and I don't have a single thing to offer you but just a willing heart. You know what, chances are most of us showed up here that are here tonight the exact same way. You know how I know that? Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. 
You wouldn't be hanging around with this motley crew of people. You'd be somewhere else where you get your pockets filled up and somebody else would be patting you on the head and saying, you know, such a good little boy. Wrong show, amen. Folks, you that have been in the ministry, called to the ministry, I know you've experienced some of those same things. Here's what happens a lot of times. You'll extend the opportunity to many along the way who are oblivious to the cost involved in going all the way for Jesus. You think about that. Pastor Brandon, you know, you had to take the reins and responsibility. But the last couple of years, pastoral type of ministry, different ones, Pastor Jamie, done youth ministry, different ones, various types of ministry in this place. And you know what? God has handed you that, and you held that thing precious, and you saw the value in it because you saw the influence and the impact that it had on other people's lives. And what do you do? Because you love people, you invite people into that call. You've done that. How many of you have done that and found yourself disappointed? You found that person that you said, I'm going to give you a chance to do this, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where's your commitment? Well, they're not committed because they've never had to invest the way that you did so they're oblivious to what it really costs to do it you know we're coming together and we're doing this church plant why because we want to shake hell Amen. we want to make it hard to get to hell from the greater northern territory see that's what we want that's right we want to make it hard we want the devil to think twice about trying to put anybody in hell from our neck of the woods period that's what we want to do now you like it great if you don't like it we're still going to do it. You know, move across the lake. <laughs> that's what we're going to do. But do you think we're under an illusion that that's going to be easy? That's going to be some walk in the park? Absolutely not. But come hell, high water, somebody else's attitude, or whatever else, naysayers, you know what we do? We're going to put our hand in the plow. We're not going to look back. Because our motivation is in any of those other things. Otherwise, we'd have been doing those things. But we want to lay our life down and watch God use those people that come of no reputation. Yes. That's what it is. Now, drive around town, you're going to find my face on a billboard. You might find his on a, a postal board. <laughs> but you know what? That's not what we're motivated by. It's saying, God, I want you to bring people of no reputation that are willing to exalt the name of Jesus, to be motivated by the right things. He's not trying to build a kingdom here because the kingdom of God does not come with observation. It's inside of us. That's where it's at. We've seen it. We've seen it over 22 years of full-time pastoral ministry. And here's what he said. He said, those are those that have not heard with their own ears, the naysayers. They haven't seen with their own eyes. They haven't handled with their own hands. And they'll never see the investment required with their own heart and their own life. Folks, you're going to be moved by what motivates you. You're not going to be moved by what motivates me no more than that early church was moved by what motivated John. He got moved by a genuine, intimate experience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it moved him. That's why he wrote that letter. He wrote it, and that's what he was facing here. They lacked the proper motivation, and thus they missed out on the proper appropriation of that call. And so here's what he does. He introduces in this letter that which should be the motivational factor in anything that we do and how we walk in the truth. And you know what that is? What should be your motivation? That's what he's introducing here in these next few verses we're going to talk about. The motivation behind every bit of it has got to be one thing, love. You know what's kind of scary? You know, um, I believe in holiness. I believe in righteousness. I believe in preaching truth. I believe you preach hell hot. I believe all of those things. I don't believe you preach a wide-gate gospel. I believe you preach a narrow way and understanding the fact of the matter is, few there be that find. Amen. I, I believe that. Amen. I mean, I totally believe that. What the problem is, is many people that believe that hate that word called love. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I'm saying? People that think that you preach holiness and righteousness, that you, you do those things, that you have to remove love from the equation. That it's got to be some legalistic type of thing, hitting somebody with him. This past Friday night, two young ladies came up to me. Uh, one of them, 21 years old, Anastasia, she's from Alabama, raised in a Baptist, a very devout Baptist family. The other one, Desiree, 24 years old, from Mississippi. <coughs> These two young ladies, she was raised, her, her mother's devout Catholic. The way she described her dad, she said, my dad is a redneck racist. That's her words. Lesbian girls, you know, came up to me and said, we got some questions for you. I could tell right off the bat they're trying to pick a fight. I want to see what this guy standing up from 15-foot Red Cross is going to say. And so they asked me right off the bat, what do you think about homosexual peoples? And I said, what do you mean what I think about it? I said, I love them. And they kind of got taken, taken back by that. Hmm. And I said, I love homosexual people. I love heterosexual people. I love whatever type of people. I love people. Period. I said, what? And just playing kind of naive. Why do you ask? Well, most Christians, they went into that spiel. Finally, I pulled them over the side and began to talk to them. I said, listen, girls, let me just tell you something. I said, a lot of times I don't want to focus on the symptoms of issues. Right. I said, I really don't. I said, oh, that's just symptomatic or something. And I said, the fact of the matter is, I know what God told me in his word. I know what he says. I know the expectation. And I said, just because I know that doesn't make me hate you. Just because there's a consequence to your actions, just like there would have been a consequence to mine, had I not repented and believed the gospel, I said, there's a consequence. But that doesn't change who God is. And that certainly doesn't change who, who you are to me. I said, and, and went on to tell them, I said, listen. And they said, well, you, you think that... The, the, the older one of the two desiree, she said, do you think for a minute that I, when I went to high school that, that I wanted to be ostracized? She said, do you think that I want to be made fun of? She said, do you think that I wanted to be called a, a diet? Do you think that I wanted those things? I said, I, I don't think that at all. And the other one said, do you think that I wanted my family to reject me and, and say, she said, do you think for a minute that I would want to put myself through the hell that I had to go through? I said, I don't think that at all. And I said, but the problem is, is, you know, you say you can't help your feelings. I said, you're right, you can't. I said, that's why God had to send his son in the form of sinful flesh and for sin to die Amen. to break that yoke of bondage that's off of your life. And I said, because you tried to do something different, didn't you? And it didn't work. You tried to change. You tried to like guys. You tried to do all these things, but it did not work. I said, because you were born broken. I said, your brokenness just happened to manifest itself in homosexuality. Mine didn't. It manifested itself in a plethora of other wicked and, and, and non-desirable type of things. And I said, that's why the word says, you must be born again. Come on. I was born wicked. I was born with a heart that was away from God. But I was born again with a heart towards God. Changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus, according to 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. That's who I am in Christ. And I said, and that's what every one of us need to and have to do. And I got to spend about 30 or 40 minutes talking to them girls. And I, I'd like to say at the end they renounced those things that they didn't, but they got to hear something. Right. They got to hear something, and on the flip side, there was something they didn't hear. Mm -hmm. They were hoping to provoke me to, to have a self-fulfilled prophecy of all Christians are just wicked, hateful people that don't want to see me delivered. And I told them, listen, if you don't repent, the fact of the matter is you will go to hell for eternity separated from God. I said, but I take no joy in that. And I said, he does not rejoice in the death of the wicked either. He doesn't. That's why he was willing to pour his life out upon the cross of Calvary for you and for me as a substitutionary payment for man's sins. And they thanked me. They said, thank you. Here's what, uh, here's what uh, Anastasia, she said, thank you for talking to us like we're human beings. You know what? Because he talked to me like I was a human being. Come on now. 
when I was lost and without hope, without Christ. He sought me out. His motivation wasn't to crush me, or he would have crushed me while I was yet a sinner. His motivation was that he loved me so much that even though I didn't have the right pedigree or the right background, even though I didn't have anything remotely good to offer, he still sought me out. So how is it that we forget the right that we want to shake our fists at heaven when things don't go right for us, knowing exactly what he did for us and the mercy that he extended for us? Folks, if your motivation is not love, your motivation is not Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about a love that says it's okay for you to do it. That's not what I'm talking about. If you know me, you know better than that. If you know the Bible, you know better than that. But I'm talking about a love that, that transcends anything in the natural. That doesn't just look at what people are doing, but looks at why people are doing those things. So John shows up on the scene. He says, guys, listen. Again, the new commandment, he said, I write to you, which is thing is true in him and you, because darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. He says he's in the light, but hates his brother. He's in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and darkness is in him. And he does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We'll see that this thought is going to be further developed as we go uh, forward into this, into this study. But he introduces this uh, subject matter. And really, it's got to be understood at this level first. It's loving your brother. I'm going to read that verse 8 again to you. He says again, a new commandment I write to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already Shine. Folks, what do you think about when you think about darkness? You know, darkness is passing away. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the Greek word skotia. I'll give you an English spelling for that. S-K-O-T-I-A. S-K-O-T-I-A. And it literally it relates more to spiritual darkness than it does to environmental darkness. Sometimes we think about darkness being upon the face of the deep. We just think the absence of sunlight. But this darkness is a spiritual darkness. Have you ever been at that point where you felt, I'm talking about as a believer, then you were walking with the Lord and you just you felt something had come upon you. It was a spiritual darkness. And what does it do? It gives you that, lack of a better term, it gives you a gut check. I remember a time during that time in, in Texas, not only I was there, that there was about a three-month period that I felt overwhelmed. I mean, I did. I'm, I'm pastor church and man, God was doing tremendous. I'm literally, we were seeing God do tremendous things, revival, just amazing things happen. But I felt every day like I was going to die. And you know what? The only person that knew that was my wife. Why was that? Because how could I, as the leader of a church in the body of people that are coming off the streets, homeless and drug addicts and people coming out of prostitution, man, they didn't need me to crumble. They didn't need me to grab hold of the horns of the altar and fight my way through that thing and not yield to the darkness in my life. I, that was just a, that darkness, that spiritual thing that I had to literally just by an act of my will submit myself, every thought, every deed, every action to God on a daily basis because I felt like the life was being sucked out of me spiritually. I felt that. But I had to press. Now, folks, you know what? When you're going through those things, it's not fun. But when you come out of those things, you won't take for them. Because then you say to yourself, yeah. not God, can I be trusted in all these opportunities? Like we say, well, God, just give me a chance. Give me a chance. Folks, you don't learn anything from the chances. Right. But say, Lord God, can you trust me in the trial? 
Can you trust me that I've gone through those things, that you don't have to worry about me shaking my fist at heaven? You don't have to worry about me being motivated by something other than just, you know what, God? Thank you not for uh, anything but allowing me to go through this trial. Thank you, Lord God, for having enough confidence in my yielded spirit to know that at the end of the day, Lord God, you're able to keep those things that are committed to, unto you. Folks, that's where you begin to see that victory. And so we, we see those things. We, we see those things happen. He talked about uh, that darkness means it deals with a moral and spiritual obscurity that's a result of a lack of faith in God. Folks, it's those times that are going to test your metal and are going to test your faith in God. So he reveals what causes that darkness to pass. Sometimes we say, God, how can that darkness pass? And here's what he said in that verse. He said, it's true of him and him and you. That is, his life and death removed that veil of separation and brought us access into that true light of God's presence. God, how do I get past those dark times? Well, I take that access. I have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feelings of my infirmities. He was always tempted just like I was, yet without sin. So what does that do? That gives me access to come boldly to the throne of grace and mercy and attain the help I need when? When I need it. Amen. And so it causes me to say, God, I've got to have that access point, not to my own abilities, not to anything else, but I've got to enter that access point to the blood of Jesus. John 1, uh, 1 through 12 says this. Great verse. You'll hear, if you've heard Pastor Jamie preach a few times, you'll hear him preach from 1 John a lot. John 1, I should say. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And listen to this. This is John talking again. He said, to Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light of men. What is the light of men? Think about that. It's, we know it's Jesus, but what does it look like? Well, I'm going to tell you in a minute. And that light shines in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. So there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for witness, that bear witness of that light that all men brought uh, through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lights the way to every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe and would call upon his name. Folks, think about this for a second. When Christ came, the question of, does God really love us, was answered. Now think about that. Right. You think about what people thought. For God was just some distant God seated upon the throne, ready to squash you for not fulfilling the law. But when Christ Jesus came in the incarnation, the answer to, does God love us, was answered right then, first and foremost. For him to come down from his exalted place on high, to take the form of sinful flesh, Revealed just how willing he was to reconcile us to himself. Now, notice something. Since there was no way for us to get to him, not even through the law, he instead became incarnate. He became, according to Hebrews 2 and 9, a little bit lower than the angels. He came down and dwelt among us. Now, notice I said his coming down. Just coming down was an unprecedented display of God's love for us. Amen. Just coming down. Just him coming from that exalted place, that, that place of glory, that place of splendor, that place where the angels are camped about his throne, holy, holy, holy. Think about him coming out of that environment to a people that John 1 says he came into his own and they did not even receive him. The one that, that, that created all this came down to his creation and they did not receive him. The one that, that called them out and made a peculiar people out of him did not even receive him. And he knew it. 
He knew it. Called the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. He knew the reaction that he was going to get from them, but he loved us enough to come down anyway. But he didn't stop there. Now, he could have stopped right there, came down and dwelt among man. And you know what? No one, anytime, any place, anywhere could ever argue and say, well, you know what? Man, God doesn't love us. We'd say, yeah, he does. Look what he did. He came down from that exalted place and he dwelt among us. He walked with us. Again, he walked in an environment saturated by sin and wickedness and people that despised him. But he didn't stop. He endured rejection, shame, and suffering. He did. His own people rejected him. They, they scoffed at him. They called him a blasphemer. They called him all those things. All that shame. And you know what? If he had stopped there, no one could have argued with his love. How dare you? How dare you argue with the face of God? Where were you when he created the heavens? Amen. And you're going to scoff at him? Oh, man. He didn't, he didn't pulverize you and annihilate you on the spot? God loves you. But he didn't stop there. He endured the death, even the death, upon the cross of Calvary. He put the period at the end of the sentence. He said, listen, I love you. That's my motivation. That's what moved me. God loved the world so much that he came. Right? Now, notice it didn't say God loved the world so much that he died. God loved the world so much that he came. Folks, everything else became the spiritual redemptive icing upon the cake. He loved us so much that he was willing to at least come. Then oh, he suffered the shame. He suffered the despising and the rejection. And he yeah. said, I'm going to take it to another level. I'm going to lay my life down yes. for them. And listen to this prophetic foreshadowing. He declared in John 15, 12 through 13, he said, this is my commandment. Just like John would later iterate once again to this, in this epistle. He said, this is my commandment. That you love one another. As I've loved you. Folks, it's just not enough to show up. Mm -hmm. Hear what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's right. It's, it's not enough just to show up at church. Now let's start. But he said, I'm setting the standard. I'm setting the example. It's not enough for us to just put on the right t-shirt. To belong to the right ministry. Mm -hmm. to, to claim the right name. That's not what he did. He said, I want you to... He said, I want you to love one another just like I have loved you. It's not enough just to show up. What did he do? He, he despised the shame. All that stuff. He did, you know, he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't reject those things. He, he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He allowed those things to happen to him. And so how about us when he says, love one another as I have loved you? Boy, we get bent out of shape if somebody looks at us crazy. What are you motivated by? Or if somebody don't recognize me, or somebody don't give me the opportunity, or somebody don't call me back on time, or somebody does this and that. Think about what motivates us. He said, I want you to love one another. We did that to him. And what did he say? He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And we say, burn me once, shame on me. Burn me twice, shame on you. Yeah, I may forgive, but I'm not going to forget. Think about the attitude that we have. Love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no man than this. They would show up, would put up a little bit of something, and he said, no greater love is any man known but this, but a man that would lay down his very life for his friends. Folks, that was the standard that was set that the church and the epistle of 1 John rejected. It wasn't a church that just showed up and said, listen, we can't help ourselves. We're always going to live wicked. 
It was a church that showed up, was willing to endure trials and hardships. Church that was willing to say many of the afflictions of the righteous, but we want the Lord to deliver them out of them all. It's a church that said, in this world, we're going to suffer tribulation. Don't fear. I've overcome the world. It was a church that was willing to lay down their life. So John shows up and he says, listen, if you say you love me but don't keep my commands, you're a liar. Well, but I struggle with drinking, but I struggle with lust, but I struggle with unfaithfulness. I struggle with giving. I struggle with commitment. I struggle with keeping the Sabbath. I struggle with anger. He said, tell you what, let me just break this down for you. Let me just give you one new commandment. Love one another. You know the answer to your struggles? Love one another. You know the answer to your addiction? Love one another. You know the answer to your lack of commitment? Love one another. The answer to your fear, your lack of compassion? Love one another. Now, does that sound like I'm oversimplifying anything? It might. But folks, that's the answer to it all. That was the answer from the beginning. And that's answer now. I'll tell you why. Romans 13, 8. He says, don't owe any man anything except for your obligation to love one another. He said, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Don't find yourself obligated. You don't have anything else to prove. But I love you, Ron Boover. That's it. Brother, I may not have anything in my earthly possession to give you. Brother, but at the end of the day, I want you to be able to say, I'll tell you what. Brother Bowen, as you call me, <laughs> he loves me. That's what I want you to be able to say. I want Polly to be able to say, 18 years old, you know what? Man, if nothing else, you know what, man? He loves me. Don't owe anybody anything else. Man, don't, may not be able to do anything else for you. But at the end of the day, man, I know I'm loved. And he says, in doing this, he said, you'll fulfill all of the requirements of God's love. Now, what does he say? He said, because your motivation for everything else will then be correct. Now think about that for a second. If I start with the right motivation, my actions that follow are going to be correct. Paul said, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, I won't do it. He didn't say because it's, you know, because I can argue with you about the law. He said, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, I love my brother more than I do that, that cheeseburger. Come on. If it offends my brother for me to, to take a sip of wine with a meal, you know what? You're going to see me sipping no wine, no meal. Because I love my brother more than that. If it offends my brother for me to do this or do that, you know what? I, you don't, you're going to see me doing that anymore. Because there's nothing here, there's nothing in this lifetime that I love more than my brother. And so if I love my brother and I'm willing to lay down my life for my friends, all of those other things that we're talking about, listen, man, I can't walk in bondage to lust. Why? Because, man, that might cause my brother to stumble. And I love my brother. I can't walk in, in gossip but you know, because what's going to put a stumbling block in front of somebody else. I can't do that because I love my brother. Folks, you see how that becomes the answer to every other thing? And it says, I can't do that. Why? Because, man, I love my brother too much to allow a kink in my armor ever to stand as something that's going to cause them to fall. Those things that ever digress in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's why the fulfillment of the law is found in loving 
one another. What does God want from us? Here's what he said. He that says he's in the light, verse 9, but hates his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loves his brother abides in the light and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and doesn't know where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. Folks, all those four verses right there just point to one thing. The right motivation. We know that what Paul the Apostle told the church of Corinth, he said, listen, I can speak with the tongues of men, tongues of angels, he said, I can give my body to be burned. I can take everything I have and give it to the poor. He said, but I don't have love. He said, I'm a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. Now, my pockets are now empty. I'm on a billboard. I've got all these other aspirations and these other things that people have said. But you know what? When it comes into the kingdom, I'm just making a lot of noise. Folks, you know what's going to always bring us back to that place? And that's what John was trying to tell them. Listen, guys. I know I told you some stuff. I told you that if you say you, you walk in the, uh, you have a relationship with him, but you walk in darkness, that you're a liar. I told you that. I told you all these things that, 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 that he's offered and what he requires. That if you say that you know him, but don't keep his commands, you know, you're, you're really lying. But then he throws this in. He says, let me just stop the presses just for a second. He's like, guys, don't get away from what I'm telling you. Let me take it back to what this is really all about. Man, God loved us. God loved us enough to send His Son to set us free from sin, not to set us free to die in that sin that He set us from, set us free from. He's like, you got to come to that place. And He puts it at the most, the, 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 the most basic of level. He didn't say just love your enemies. He said, listen, if I can love my brother those that are my kindred, those that I have fellowship with, those that are, 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 are a part of me. He's like, listen, that's going to be the foundation and the building blocks of everything else. What moves you? It's what motivates you. What are you motivated by? Are we motivated by the things that begin to motivate that struggling, backslidden church that forgot where they came from? That ceased to be motivated by love? They only became motivated by what affected them. Or are we motivated because we know Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a sacrifice for our sins that they might know we're his disciples by the love that we show one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, do not ever allow us to forget what it was that took you to the cross. Lord Jesus, what brought you here to begin with, Lord God, the, the motivation was your love for us, the desire to reconcile us back to yourself. Lord, you want a people that are holy in all manner of conversation. You want a people that will come out from the world and be separate. And the reason you want that is because you love us, that you have such a tremendous desire, Lord God, for us to be free from those things that would destroy us. But you called us to a standard, the standard of your son Jesus. You said if he be lifted up, just didn't show up, but he was lifted up, you'd draw us to that place that we might be crucified with Christ and live. Father, help us with our motivation that we might be moved completely, Lord God, in the way that you moved. That we might love our brothers, even as Christ loved us. 
Jesus' name.